All right, here we go. Episode five. No office hours this week. No features this week. There are things I need to get off my chest. It's been a crazy week in the world. And I just want to make sure I say some things, make some things clear. So let's get right to it. Starting with how I ended last week. On the Dean's list, I had Travion Cootie, and I started by saying that she gets the William O'Neill Award. And so I wanted to make sure that we're clear on who William O'Neill is, or at least the William O'Neill that I'm referring to. I am referring to the William O'Neill who was pulled out of a Cook County jail in Chicago and turned into an FBI informant. And his main mission was to infiltrate the Black Panther Party led by Fred Hampton and give intel on plans, movement on the organization to the FBI so that they could, you know, therefore control and ultimately put down uh, the Black, Black Panther Party movement either by law or by force. And it turned out that the intel that William O'Neill was ultimately able to give the FBI about Fred Hampton's apartment led to a police raid where they unleashed a hailstorm of bullets into the apartment under the guise that they were responding to initial gunfire. And that hailstorm is what killed, murdered Fred Hampton. And so for me, someone like William O'Neill is an enemy of the culture. And an enemy of the culture for me is someone who would, by their behavior, put black people in the harm, in the sights of violence, whether state-sanctioned or otherwise. And so when we get back to Travion Kuti, one of the 19 uh, indicted in Fulton County by Fani Taifa Willis, out here saving the democracy. Travion Kuti was brought in as the kind black face to try and get Ruby Freeman, Fulton County or Georgia poll worker, who worked the uh, 2020 election, to either recant her story or change her story about election fraud or not testify in the January 6th trials that ultimately impeached the former president, Donald Trump. And so again, we have a situation where the actions of Ms. Cootie in trying to paint herself as a friend to Ruby Freeman put Ruby Freeman in a situation that she still faces to this day where she is not able to be in her home. She has to work undercover effectively, uh, you know, witness protection in plain sight, you might call it. And her life has been forever altered. So people who know better, William O'Neill knew better. He argued with the police because he came to understand and actually believe in the mission of the Black Panther Party. Travion Kuti knew that Donald Trump had lost and was in on the conspiracy to try and overturn the election and overthrow the democracy. 
And so she goes in and tries to make her disappear. In the process, putting Miss Freeman in the crosshairs of any and every white supremacist who wants to see Donald Trump return to office. So I wanted to make sure that we were clear, crystal clear, on why I have a huge problem with those who behave in the manner of William O'Neill, Travion Kuti, and others like Candace Owens who through their rhetoric and their actions, which is the key point, their actions, put black people, black communities in harm's way because they sow seeds of fear and otherness that lead to violence. We're going to talk about that violence more as we get into today's episode. Let's take a break. So now that we're clear on William O'Neill, Travion Kuti, and enemies of the culture, I want to focus in on another enemy that made headlines this week, a defendant, a co-defendant with Travion Kuti in the Fulton County RICO case, and that is Harrison Floyd. Harrison Floyd is the only one of the 19 co-defendants who remains in custody uh, after the deadline to turn themselves in to the courthouse this past Friday. Harrison Floyd is interesting because he is being held and was denied bond because allegedly when he was served a subpoena in Maryland, in his home state of Maryland, in the Jack Smith grand jury case, he assaulted allegedly two FBI officers. Mind you, Harrison Floyd is a Marine and an MMA fighter. So this dude is something, someone who has hands, as they say. And so now his hands have him in the Fulton County Jail, which is being investigated for its deplorable conditions. People have allegedly died there due to the conditions one inmate because of bed bugs. And Harrison Floyd, when he appeared before the judge this week, said that he did not have counsel because he could not afford it. The 40 to 100K that it would cost to even have counsel fly down to Georgia. We've heard from the news that Donald Trump is definitely not helping out any of his co-defendants with bail money or legal fees, asked. Rudy Giuliani, ask Jenna Ellis. And so now Harrison Floyd is left out there all alone. And again, as we see with others of this ilk that become radicalized, this is no dummy. Harrison Floyd is a George Washington graduate. He ran for Congress in 2019. So this is not someone who is uneducated and just blindly sipping the Donald Trump Kool-Aid. Decisions have been made here. And what troubles me is that you have a situation here where Harrison Floyd, among others, was a leader in the Black Voices for Trump 
movement and somehow the proximity to Trump and his success made it so, A, you forget about the struggles of the culture. You forget about Donald Trump's actual message. You forget about the idea that Donald Trump wanted the exonerated five executed. You forget about the fact that Donald Trump, Donald Trump was calling African countries, shithole countries at the beginning of COVID, putting a target on the backs of Chinese people, calling it the China virus, all these things. And then you're slapped in the face with a reminder of where you stand when in the case of Harrison Floyd, you're the only one left and have to serve in jail while everybody else is out on bond. And it just speaks to a a bro culture, a patriarchal culture, run amok, where the closer you get to power A and whiteness B, and not just the skin color of whiteness, the idea of power that comes along with whiteness, the property of it, the privilege of it, the entitlement of it, that you somehow then are willing to act against the interest of others in your community. In this case, Harrison Floyd, like Travion Kuti, was sent and was in on attempts to silence Ruby Freeman, to have her change her testimony. And now here he is. And so it speaks to what I want to get into next, which is the idea of anti-blackness. I want to talk about anti-blackness because we are just days after another mass shooting, this one taking place in Jacksonville, Florida, that targeted specifically black people. We sit here today with Angela Carr, Gerald Deshaun Galleon, and Anult Joseph Laguerre having lost their lives at the hands of Ryan Christopher Paul Metter, who after killing these three, took his own life with his own gun that was emblazoned with a swastika. And so I'm forced again to think about anti-blackness, which as we've talked about already, doesn't just sit with those who aren't black. I would argue the most dangerous anti-blackness is carried out by those who are black because then it gives further license to those who already have white supremacist ideals, as did Mr. Paul Metter, to go ahead and carry out their thoughts and dreams because we've made it clear that we are, in fact, not human, less than. That there are those of us who feel as if there are other black people who should not be here, who deserve to be treated as less than. And so as an educator, I'm forced to think about how does this happen systematically to the point where Dylan Roof in South Carolina, 
the Buffalo shooter over a year ago. And now this young man, Mr. Palmetto, all have the same ideologies and have written extensively about them. But nothing is done until it's too late. Indoctrination is something that gets a lot of headlines. The word is a catchphrase these days when we talk about schools. And by definition, when you're talking about indoctrination, you're talking about teaching ideals without having any critical challenge. So I'm telling you something and you cannot examine it critically at all. I would actually argue that the bigger issue lies in what isn't even being taught. Because if we don't teach it, then people get to be left to their own devices to believe what they want to believe without ever having to consider anything else. In this case, the idea that black people are less than. White people are entitled to, should be running this country. Make America Great Again is steeped in ideals that leave other traditionally disenfranchised communities from having any type of say or experiencing a full humanity. And so when I think about book bans, when I think about the boogeyman effect that has been put on critical race theory, when you take these things out of school, when you pass laws that say you can't talk about race in school, you have now set down the trail for students to go into dark corners where you can enjoy all kinds of information, immerse yourself in all kinds of information, and never have to have it be challenged. Are there schools that are trying to teach things and are not doing the best job of having students explore and engage and critically think about ideas and come to their own decision? Sure. But what I can also say is that more often than not, professional teachers come to the table to try and help students understand the things that they are seeing and make sense of them. We know from research that students are able to recognize differences in skin color as early as three and four. So then if we do not ever help them make sense of that and they only get messages from home or certain types of media about what they're supposed to believe, then we should not be surprised, especially in these times, when there are those who will resort to violence because they are told that this community or this person is the reason why you don't get X. Or this person is prone to violence, so you have to be aware. 
how many more murders carried out with assault weapons, legal or otherwise, by young white men barely in adulthood. It is a scary thought, especially as a father of two black young boys. So this is why I crack open a microphone and I try to help people understand that there's a humanity in all of us that we have to appreciate. Yes, we can disagree. We can talk through that. But if we don't try and learn from one another, then we will tear each other apart. Which is a shame because there is so much that we can learn from one another. The idea of this country works because of the idea that you can come here, engage, be a part of the grander project freely. And sadly, these days, too often, we are seeing that we are going backwards to a time where only certain people get to say things. Only certain people get to make decisions. When certain people like Donald Trump are not able to maintain power then they will enact strategies and schemes in order to maintain that power. And that can't be allowed to stand. Schools play a powerful part. That's why you're seeing all of this talk around schools. And I refuse to sit by and let schools be a place where students cannot engage and think, learn to think for themselves. Learn to understand how we are more connected than we are disalike. While also learning the skills that allow them to become productive members of a global economy and ecosystem. feel for the community in Jacksonville who now understands what the people of Buffalo felt like, who understood what the people in Charleston, South Carolina felt like, who understood the people of Stoneman Douglas High School felt like, who understand what the people in Columbine and Aurora and all these other places felt like. Sandy Hook, when mass shootings come to the places they call home. I've said it in circles of friends, and I will continue to say it. Ron DeSantis is Florida as he declares a war on woke 
as he's co-opted it to mean it is not a safe place. I don't blame the NAACP for their travel advisory. I understand those business per people who say, well, you're, you're, you're hurting my business when you tell black people not to come. But I would say to those folks, well, then be part of the solution. Use your influence to make it so that Ron DeSantis can dog whistle his way into a Florida that is not safe for minority communities. I want to take a break and finish on something a little bit more upbeat. I'm going to finish on an upbeat note. Like I said, I want to spend some time for the honor roll, giving flowers to Queen B, Beyonce, Knowles, Carter. Got to see the Renaissance tour this weekend. Legion Stadium in Vegas and I just want to give my initial just seeing it reactions takeaways because Beyonce really is a treasure that was certainly one of my immediate thoughts I did not get to see Michael Jackson's greatest tours I would say in my lifetime he's the biggest phenomena next to Beyonce in that when they go on tour everybody wants to go stadiums filled all over the world not just domestically look at footage of Michael Jackson and his world tours in these stadiums and people are crying just from him standing there there's a similar feeling when Beyonce pops up on the stage. Next thing is that you just forget how long Beyonce's been doing it. And she's still got the whole package of an elite performer. We're starting to see the beginning of the less choreography, less Beychella, and more of a Diana Ross, Mariah Carey, just be able to stand there and sing. Felt like you saw some Diana Ross influence in some of her wardrobe on the tour. And it's exciting because that's just going to be as amazing as the more dance heavy productions she's had in the past. The overall production is incredible. I won't give it away. But I could go see that show again just to refocus on some of the things that I may have missed the first time. The production is that great. Beyonce and her team, their eye for every single detail that goes into the show is just top notch. Top notch. And finally, given where we started, 
have to give a salute to the queen because her shows are so inclusive. Anybody and everybody can access the queen's show. Because of how this album really leaned into things like house music and the house music culture, the pose culture, you know, the children really got to play when it came to dressing up and being ready for Beyonce. But that didn't stop anybody and everybody who normally enjoys a Beyonce show from coming to the show. And I just love how, even though you don't hear a whole lot of from, from Beyonce in terms of talking and stances, you can see if you look really closely that there are things that she supports. Most notably, the empowerment of women. She's had all female bands before. This one was all mixed. But she's got a, a trumpet player up there who's about to drop a babe any day, and she was doing it. And she has the multi-sized dancers, multi-styled dancers, dancers across the gender spectrum. So you're really just left with a feeling that all are invited to the table and all are welcome and all are equal in enjoying the art that she creates. So I have to salute Queen B for another great tour, the Renaissance Tour. Check it out if you get a chance before she goes back into the lab. That's it for this week. Glad I got through it without cursing too much. It was a lot on my mind. So thank you for riding with me. Thank you for continuing to support. See you next week. Take notes with Dr. John. The views expressed by John Carroll and his guest in the preceding podcast are solely that of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, companies, or other associated parties.